From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. Taylor Holiday is unsatisfied with making a buck. He is interested in making a profit and getting a significant return on his life, but as managing director of Common Thread Collective and as a former professional athlete and as a friend, honestly, he's someone that takes life very seriously. And because he does that, and he does it in a fun way, he's not serious all the time, but he does it in a way where there's intention and purpose behind every move. And as you listen to our conversation about his extraordinary company and how it's gone from zero to hero in such a ridiculously short period of time. Whether you're listening in from an entrepreneurial perspective where you're building a big scaling business or you're a freelancer where you're trading in your time and talent for money, no matter what vantage point you're coming from, if you're looking to make a difference and understanding practical ways to do that, and maybe in ways that you've never considered before, I think this conversation is going to be a treat. Taylor Holiday, welcome to Converge. Dan, it is a pleasure to be talking to you, man. So we are not only colleagues in business and we are friends in real life, which is always my favorite kind of guest. We get to not just chat theoretically, but we're working out in real time, real complexities. And for folks at home who don't know about Common Thread and all the other ventures, maybe not all the ventures, but your primary ventures. Describe for folks at home what you do and why you do it. Yeah, and just real quick to validate your statement, I'd say we are we are not just friends. We are uh, text each other on a Tuesday night, want to grab a beer, last second spontaneous friends, which is a special kind of friend. It's a caliber. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, I random see each other every six weeks. You know, we're real friends. Let's just camp out there for a minute before people find out about what do you think about real friends and the state of real friends in the context of colleagues these days? Because I, I hear there's a, there's kind of a backstory there that I'm hearing you kind of point to that it's not as common as people might think. No, no. I, I think that uh, that word can be used to cover a lot of different relationship types. And so I just wanted for the audience to know that the, when the, that, that wasn't just some sort of generalized candor. That was real. Hmm. So uh, I just wanted to bring that point of clarification because I think friends sometimes can mean a uh, people that you pass by on the way to the water cooler, but we are not those people. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to come back to that conversation in a minute. Tell folks at home what Common Thread is all about and why you do it. Yeah. So Common Thread Collective, we call ourselves an online sales agency, and we just use that language to make it really clear what we're here to do for people. And that's help them sell product on the internet. I grew up and had been in marketing agencies before, but similar to the word friend, I think the word marketing can mean lots of different things to people. And so we wanted to try and bring a little bit of clarification to what we're here to do for people. And that's to help them drive revenue for their primarily for e-commerce businesses uh, in the consumer goods space. So talk a little bit about your average service client, because I think for you know a lot of our audience, they're freelancers. Definitely, we have entrepreneurs running big businesses too. But I want people to understand some of the scale that you're describing, because your customers have spent a lot of money on Facebook. Yeah, for sure. We have businesses that are doing as much as $250 million a year in their direct-to-consumer through a dot-com website, down to products right off of Kickstarter and sort of everything in between. And for us, our primary function is helping them manage their paid media. And similarly to their revenue, that ranges from people spending $50,000 a month is sort of the bottom threshold for our clients up to, you know, a couple million dollars a month. So it's a, it's a pretty broad range 
of clients, but all focused on driving transactional, using transactional media to drive revenue. Mm. Like for a lot of folks, that just sounds like a ridiculous amount of money, $50,000 a month as a minimum, as a floor. But when you think about media buys, talk a little bit about, and because there's a reason why, friends, I've invited Taylor on, cause, uh, and we're going to get to it in particular, because this is not just this out of reach, pie in the sky. The stuff uh, that Taylor deals with every day has direct impact on the stuff that you and I deal with every day. So share a little bit about the ways that things have shifted when it comes to leveraging media to get business. Yeah. Well, what I love about what we do is that unlike sort of traditional media buying, when I use that phrase, what I mean is sort of TV or print buys where the traditional model was sort of, you would book space, either TV space or radio space or print space for a fixed amount of money given X impressions, you'd have to pay that lump sum up front. You would then work really hard to develop an awesome piece of creative, publish it and hope that it works and the money is spent either way. What I love about what we do in digital media in particular is that you're dealing with daily budgets. So when we even think about $50,000 in a month, what we really mean is $1,500 a day, right? And so we have the opportunity to take that spend and respond in real time to what's happening on both the creative level and the performance level to ensure that you're getting the best results possible. So for us, we think of like the beautiful thing about what we do is there's almost no scenario where you lose a bunch of money working with us. Because if it's not working, we just stop and we make an adjustment and we start again, right? And so a really bad result for our clients is breaking even. Like So in that sense, I feel really confident selling our service to entrepreneurs and businesses knowing that like the downside here relative to booking a TV spot or print or anything else is much, much higher floor, if you will. So in that sense, I think, and even if you're a freelancer, this, the same logic sort of still applies is that whether it's 50,000 or 5,000, you can go out, see immediate return that comes directly into your pocket in a way that's uh, really encouraging for people running businesses. So what I'm describing is it's a better bet. Like if someone had the money and wanted to do a Super Bowl ad, that's probably right. a bad bet compared to what you're selling. Well, yeah. I mean, Super Bowl ad is sort of, if, for all of you Gary V fans out there, I'm sure he's the big proponent of the Super Bowl ad. So that's maybe the exception to the rule because of how many eyeballs you get on that individual ad product. But the more generalized TV that is, or even let's say YouTube pre-roll or even ESPN ads or something more generalized, I think it is a much riskier bet because you are prepaying a large sum of money against sort of hypothesized results versus responding to what's happening in real time. It's a more managed bet is what I would say versus sort of a lump sum, put it on black and spin the roulette wheel. Yeah. I love that tracking risk. And I, again, I want to give folks context for, you've been at this for how long and to the degree you feel comfortable, how's it gone for you guys? (laughs) Yeah. So our agency is only about three years old, but I've been in this space. I sort of happened into it for about, about 10 years ago. So for me personally, 10 years, but for CTC, three years. And it's been an awesome ride. You know, we got really lucky in that we are tracking with an industry trend where e-commerce is a very quickly growing space, as is Facebook's media buying. So in that sense, we've gotten lucky. But we've uh, we've grown from my partner and I three years ago to we have about 65 employees now, about 40 clients and about $100 million under management. It's been a fun ride so far. Wow. In three years. Yeah. Incredible. So it's not the only, uh, this is the service side that we've talked about mostly. You also have some other products that might be relevant, especially for our crew. Uh, Talk a little bit about kind of how you scale the service side kind of with one and then a team, but also talk about admission. Yeah, absolutely. So our why 
the purpose behind our agency and for us as the founders of our company, like what we deeply care about is helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. We see ourselves as entrepreneurs. We empathize with the journey of entrepreneurs. And we feel like we got lucky to have this experience at a young age where we have a little bit of wisdom to offer the world. And so what we're passionate about is finding great entrepreneurs with great products and applying our knowledge to help them succeed. But the funny thing that we sort of didn't anticipate happening was that as our business grew and we were afforded the opportunity to work with bigger and bigger companies, we suddenly found ourselves moving further and further away from the people we set out to serve. And that was sort of an unanticipated sort of problem that put us sort of at tension with our mission. And so one of the ways that we wanted to solve that was to figure out how could we create a service offering as an agency that would allow us to serve earliest stage businesses, really the people that need the help the most, and create an economic model that would make sense for them. Because one of the things that happens in media buying, traditionally, the deal structures are all a percentage of spend base. So where you get more efficiency, the more you spend. So the people spending the most money have the best deal usually, which is sort of a sort of a bummer for, for the earlier stage businesses. And we thought that was sort of a hole in the market. And so what we wanted to do was think about people that are spending between zero and $10,000 a month and think, how could we serve them? What would it look like to build relationships with those people? And so we spent the last seven months um, building a membership product that we call Admission. So the, the URL is youradmission.co. And basically what it is, it's a membership community where we have training content, we have weekly webinars, we have a private Facebook group, we have access to support, we have a freelance hiring center for all sorts of access to resources where somebody who, whether you're running a freelance business or you're starting out as an entrepreneur running you know, a product-based business or brand, you can come in, develop the skills that you need to manage this yourself or have somebody on your team manage so that you can do this at a price that's consistent with the amount of spend that you're you're putting out into the market. So it's something we've worked really hard to try and connect us back to that mission further so we could go back to, to serving the people that we, we exist to help. I love that on several levels. Just to recap, if I'm hearing you right, and it makes sense. I can think of several industries where this is the case, where you know, if you spend more money, you get a better deal. And you found yourself in an industry that as you scaled up quickly and were really moving quickly, it just made sense that you were you had to keep raising the bar for these people who were willing to spend this much money, but that for a lot of folks, you were kind of out of their market now. You couldn't really help them anymore. So you created this new product that could actually help the masses because it truly scaled, but you're applying the same kind of intel and industry knowledge to help out the folks that are spending less, but actually need the help the most. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dave. We wanted to accomplish two things. One was to be able to reach that people group. Because if you think about, if you map out a curve of the market of business owners, and you said on the y-axis, uh, you have number of businesses. And on the x-axis, you have revenue starting from $0 to, let's say, $100 million in revenue. The reality is, is that the bulk of the market, the bulk of business owners exist in that first tier, that zero to, let's say, a $1 million in revenue. That's where most businesses are. And as our brand grew, we started getting a bunch of inbound in that area. We didn't have something to offer those people. And so it was, a, it was a solution for addressing the largest portion of the market. And the other thing it allowed us to do was internally, one, as an agency, one of the biggest sort of metrics that we track is revenue per employee. And one of the problems with service businesses a lot of times is that they're traditionally really low revenue per employee businesses versus like software as a service, for example, where you have, think of a business like Slack or something that can grow to multiple billions of dollars with fairly low headcount. Service businesses traditionally have really high revenue per employee, whereas 
one of the things that we thought about was if we could use our existing employees and create a model where through the creation of content, accessing them in public forums, doing broadcasts through webinars or events, we could take that same staff that we have, service a larger portion of the market and get more value out of that existing employee set. So there was a lot that went into sort of figuring out the opportunity. Those are the couple of the key things. So that's a perfect segue because I want to talk about that employee set. Because again, the reason you're such a fantastic guest for our show is you really have perspective both as an entrepreneur running a, a massively scaling business, but you have significant empathy for the team members who have a skill set. They're trading their time and talent in for money with you. You're paying them, but they have a skill set that they can apply in a lot of different directions and you care about them in a kind of a a disproportionate way. So talk a little bit about how you view your staff relative to the mission of what you're trying to accomplish. Really early on, meaning my partners and I sat down and asked ourselves this question of like, why would anybody come work for us? If we want the most talented, intelligent, capable people to come work for our little startup, why would anybody come? We are in Orange County, so the people we're competing against is you can go down the, the 405 and stop by Stance's office and see one of the coolest offices in the world for one of the hottest brands in the world. We have all the surf brands in our backyard, a bunch of really cool companies in the area. Google has offices here now that they have private chefs at every lunch and you know all this stuff. And We can't pay more than people. We don't have a cooler office. We don't have better benefits at that point. So why would anybody come? And the answer we felt like we came up with based on who we were as people was that We just believed we could care more about them than everybody else. And so that was the thing we sort of said to ourselves, like, this is how we're going to win. This is how we're going to make people come here. And so then the question became, oh, all right, well, what does that mean actually in practice? And so one of the things that I fundamentally believe is that your relationship between the company and its employees has to be symbiotic. What I mean by that is that if I'm going to ask you to come and work for me to help me achieve my dream as a business owner, to make me money, that the exchange of the salary for your time just isn't enough. I also have to be invested in helping you get where you want to go. And if we can maintain that relationship where you're helping me get where I want to go and I'm helping you get where you want to go, I find that people are really satisfied in their job and really value the relationship. So we started playing around with this idea of what would it mean to help people get where they want to go. And through this, we sort of have come up with a bunch of different things. Well, one of them is that we really encourage people to have side gigs, to sharpen their skills, to have opportunities to make more money. And as entrepreneurs, we would be suffocating the very thing that drives us if we told people they couldn't go out and use the skills that they've developed to create more opportunities for themselves. So that's something that we work really hard to power people to do, create space for it. We even have a cool little internal gig economy that's sort of a separate topic, but it's a cool thing we've created. And then on top of that, we have something that we call TMYD or Tell Me Your Dreams. And this is a program that we developed where we have a licensed therapist on staff. He's part of a company actually called Activate, but every one of our employees goes through a program where from the time that they start at CTC, they sign up for TMYD and every other week they have a meeting with this person and their job in the first six months is to go through sort of a self-exploration to identify what their dream is. What is their dream for their life? And then coming out of that program, we then have a bunch of resources that are available to them in the form of time, money, network, all sorts of different things to help them achieve it. And we tell them, we don't care if your dream is to be a zookeeper. It does not need to serve CTC. It's about you. It's your opportunity to leverage the resources here to be selfish and develop yourself. 
And those are just a couple of the things that we've instilled that make people see CTC as a place that if they come here, they are going to leave and develop and be closer to what it is that they want for their life. And that narrative is really powerful for recruiting people. Well, it's so funny. It's for all this chatter about millennials. It just seems like you're speaking like native millennial right now. Is this their love language that you're discovering? Your choices is like to be the person that's like bitter and criticizes human beings for who they are generationally, or it's to say like, how do I meet those people where they are and use it in a way that's to our advantage as a business and their advantage as people. And so I'm, I'm happy to meet people in that in where they're at now. So what I'm hearing you say is, in addition, and by the way, I've been to your offices. They're ridiculous. It's a ridiculously cool place. Although the one night we were there, you were out of beer. So I don't know what to think about that. But anyway, so that you have this great spot, you have this great culture, and you actually have it set up so that even in the same business that you do with these super high-end clients, you're actually encouraging people to leverage that skill set for side gigs. And that particularly is striking because a lot of our audience especially in the service side, their efforts to scale actually causes serious concern. Like they're going to basically train people to be their competitors. How do you respond to that concern? And then I want to get to TMYD in a second. Yeah, I am okay with that. (laughs) Honestly, is is the answer is that I think of our engine and our mission being about helping people achieve their dreams. And if people want to join in the competition of that mission, of the purpose of that, like I'm cool with that. So for me, there's some freedom in that our mission is in some ways a service of human beings that if people want to join in, I feel honored by it. I feel like excited that that would be expanding beyond these walls. And the reality is, is that like for our industry, there's just, there's just enough business that I'm just don't have to carry that fear that we're going to train people and then they're going to go off and become my competition. It's happened. Literally our first TMYD person like came through it. His name was Greg McCoy and he came to us in the process and said, my dream is to run my own agency. And we said, great, we will set up time for Josh to help you find a lawyer to understand how to form an LLC. we set up meetings so he could review and understand how to do QuickBooks and we set him off. And now he runs part of his own agency. Like that's how serious we are about this is that it does not matter to me whether this is in my best interest or not as a business owner, because I think the reputation that we develop as, as that process is so much bigger and more valuable than even the fact that Greg may run a business that someday competes with ours. Like we just, and Greg still shows up to every one of our Christmas parties. We are fans and encouraging each other's business in every way possible. For me, it's just more valuable than the risk that it creates. Hmm. So you clearly have a good relationship with him. And if you get to a place where you guys are going head to head, how do you view that? How do you relate with that? Because again, I what I love about it is it's a very kind of embedded, abundant mentality that you're kind of faking into your model here as opposed to a scarcity one. But what does that look like when you guys are going head to head competing? Well, I think the thing that in part of this, I think comes from being an athlete where the thing I love about sports is there's some sort there's generally objectivity to who gets to play, right? Like in the sense that if you're a better shooter, you're going to get more minutes on the court. If you're hitting for a higher average, you're going to get playing time. Now, maybe not at the little league level where you've got the coach's son playing shortstop, but generally at the higher levels, the best players play. And for me, what competition tends to create is it causes an elevation of your own performance. So if, if Greg and I or some other agency and I go out head to head and are pitching our services and narrative to a client and we lose, that all that's going to do is force me to examine why, yeah. to revise prove what I have to offer. I'm here for that game. Like I am here for the the idea of figuring out how someone has created an offering better than me and what I can do to improve myself. So again, competition can be a fuel. And I, I just, I'm also 
part of this is I'm confident in who we are and what we have to offer as being unique in that whatever anybody else has to bring to the table, I'm sure there may be, there may be clients that they are better to serve them than we are, but and maybe it is to your point, an abundant position of the sense of like, I'm just not worried about the scarcity of the market, but I'm a competitor. It's where it's sort of in my life a lot or in my blood from being an athlete my whole life. Like, and it just, it's not something that I worry all that much about. I'll be back with the rest of the conversation right after this short break. This episode of Converge is brought to you by White House Custom Color, the most customer-centric photo lab around. They just do it better. If you are a professional in need of any images in print, whcc.com is your answer. Either use them yourself or make sure your photographer does. whcc.com, the official sponsor of the Business of Creativity podcast. So I want to talk about your, your mission, helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams and how that connects to your staff and your Tell Me Your Dreams program. It strikes me as radically committed, like disproportionately committed to your mission. And I know for a lot of folks, they actually get stuck at mission. They're like, I would love to have a mission that grand. But there's also a cost to having a mission that grand that you're carrying, that you're not satisfied to just have that work for your customers. You're, it has to carry all the way through everything that you do. Just reflect a little bit with me on, like, how did you come up with that kind of a mission in the tell me your dream thing? I mean, I'm guessing people are just, they love it. I mean, it just sounds incredible that you would create that kind of a resource for a team. Getting there is actually an important part of the story. Like, so we, our first mission when we started used to be to be the best in the world and selling products online. That's what we started. And what happened as a result of calling that our mission was that it created tension because we would look around at each other and we weren't behaving consistent with what the mission demanded. So what I mean by that is one day we all sat around and we said, what does it look like to be the best in the world? And we said, let's name some people who we think are the best in the world at something. And the example that we used at the time, and partially because I'm a, I'm a big Lakers fan, was Kobe Bryant. So at the beginning, it was like, Kobe Bryant's the best basketball player in the world. What did it take for him to get there? And we said, it cost him relationships. It cost him time with his family. This thing had to be so all-consuming that even the fact that he was immensely talented had to be combined with an obsession and a willing to put other things below that as a priority. And we asked ourselves, like, I'm a father of three kids. My partner has two kids. My other one partner was just married. And we said, like, are we willing to do that? And we all said no. And so at that exact moment, we said, okay, then this mission is not right. And so we threw it out and we said, okay, what mission are we actually willing to live into? What one are we actually willing to embrace and orient our behavior around? Because otherwise, all we're going to do is be dissatisfied all the time because we're not fulfilling the thing that we say we exist to do. And so that was a really important sort of moment of crisis for us to be able to ask ourselves, are we actually doing this thing that we say we care about? And instead say, what do we care about? And that's how we got to this idea of helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. It was because we were forced to genuinely ask ourselves the question and self-actualize our desire to say, what do we really want for ourselves? That's a really important process because once you get there, then the behaviors become way easier because you've done the hard work of deciding that this actually matters to you and you have a North Star through which to make decisions. So when we sit down and we look at our finances and say, yeah, we spent you know hundreds of thousands of dollars last year on things like TMYD and the service of our clients that would have gone directly into our pockets instead, it's easy for us to go, yep, that's the right decision because we took the time to decide that this is what matters to us. And I think that's like 
being honest about your mission and not feeling obligated to say something that you think culturally is approved. Like, like I think we got to that first mission because you're sort of led to believe that you should strive to be the best in the world at something. But I just, I just don't think that's true for everybody. And so I think the question is like, what actually matters to you? If your mission is like, I want to make enough money to be home on Fridays, then literally make that your mission and live and orient around it. Right. If there's no right answer, it's just about what you're actually willing to live into. So that phrase live into, I'm interpreting that as kind of paying the price and identifying, well, in declaring a mission, going through a second step of saying, okay, so if that mission came true, what are the prices that need to be paid for that to happen? And is that something I'm game for? And living with the other side of it, which is, you know, Kobe Bryant got some payoffs for his prices paid, and those might not be available if you're not willing to pay them. That's exactly right. And counting the cost on both sides of what you're giving up. And we have this conversation all the time as partners where we say, hey, like, what are our, our dreams and objectives financially? And what are our dreams and our objectives with our time? Because those things hold each other in tension sometimes, not always, but sometimes. And so I think that like, if you have this orienting North Star, then you when you approach those tough milestones, it's easier to go, does this draw us closer to that? Or does it pull us further away? And even if the cost is more money, more you know, reputation, whatever it might be, it's easier to say that's worth it if you've done the hard work of identifying what you really care about. So yeah, that cost part is absolutely real and needs to be taken into consideration. Okay, so let's go back to helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams then. So you've landed there, you're living into it, you're, it's easier in a sense because you're clear and you're committed and you're counting the price and you're regularly reassessing and being willing to kind of tweak the bets you're making relative to that. But then you have this question of like, how do you know that your entrepreneurs are actually achieving their dreams or, it, or your team even? And I want to come back to the team in a second, but let's just stick with the entrepreneurs that you're serving. How do you know when they're achieving their dreams? This is so perfect because this is the exact thing that we're in the process of reevaluating right now, Dave, is that I actually don't think our mission is specific enough. And so we are actually working to revise it, to make it clearer because there's a few things. One, to your exact point, when have you achieved it is really difficult. And what is a dream is also something that means a lot of different things to people. So right now, every time when we onboard our client, and I'm staring at it right now, we have a we ask them to give us their dream. And instead of putting brand logos on the wall, we put pictures of people with their dream written underneath it. But if I go read that wall, they say everything from make people smile every day to things very specific, like be the official sponsor of the CrossFit game in five years. Well, the make people smile every day is a point that we'll never be able to check off, right? Because every day is in perpetuity and nobody wins at that game. But the other one, the help them become the official sponsor of the CrossFit game in five years, that is tangible. That is something that we can actually work towards and measure progress against. And when that entrepreneur emailed me about a business question, I was able to use that clear goal to frame back to him the way in which he should approach the decision. And I mean, it's really easy for me to say, if your dream is really this, then you should do X, Y, or Z. And so in that way, I think we can be a better partner for people. And so we have some big things coming in the next year in ways that we're going to revise both how we help people identify their dream, how we make it more tangible, and how we clarify how many people we're trying to help achieve over a given period of time so that we can better understand how we're succeeding against our mission. Well, I'm coming back later to ask you where you land on that. So just count on another invite back to the show. But I want to talk specifically about, and I, I love that you're putting it on the table. I think it's just a great modeling for people. I want to talk and maybe finish our conversation 
really around this idea of acquisition and retention of talent and how you view the marketplace right now of talent. Obviously, you're committed to your own people, really. I know we've debated it offline around the word flourishing or thriving, but like you want your people to be, at the very least, pleased with their decision to work for you, and you want the best talent to be working for you. Talk a little bit about the current marketplace and acquisition and retention and with arguably tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people navigating the gig economy. How do you view your talent? And not not just for you, but for others. Yeah, that's a great question. So so our industry is incredibly hard to hire for, right? So people with large scale Facebook media buying experience for e-commerce products, like there's a small handful of those people in the world because it's fairly new. There's nobody with 20 years experience in our industry because it hasn't been around that long. And in Orange County in particular, a lot of that talent gets sucked up by the big brands in LA um, or even down to San Diego. So we're dealing with a fairly small pool. So one of the things that we've really decided to commit to, and this um, I stole this sort of from Marissa Meyer and the way that she built the product development teams at Google, was that we have really committed to training our talent, is that our entire sort of workflow and system is that we have a really awesome intern program that the entry point into is strictly like an objective competition. I'll give you sort of an example. Last year, like the first time we ever did this, what we did is we had a batch of people come in, we gave them all $50 and we said, you have two weeks to buy and sell things and bring us back as much money as possible. And the three that did the best job, we hired them and they were our first batch of interns. And then we put them through a rotation where they trained in every role in our company. And by the end of that rotation, that three-month internship program, they were the best possible applicants for the jobs that we could get them to apply for. So because there's this weird gap in our market where the cost of the experienced talent is way overpriced relative to where we are, we can create arbitrage and talent by training really well. So that's something we're committed to is finding smart. So we, we hire for two things, effort and interest. Those are the attributes that we look for in people. And when I say effort, I don't mean how many hours you can work. I mean, what is your motor for problem solving? If you run into issues, how much will you work through solving them? And then how much do you weirdly love the internet? That's who we are, is that we just weirdly love the internet and its capabilities to change people's lives. And so if you care about those two things, we think we can make you really successful because what we do isn't rocket science. We're not surgeons, we're not curing cancer, but we think we can teach you the skills necessary to be really great at the job. And so that affords us a much broader pool of people to potentially pull from. That's how we specifically approach talent acquisition is we've moved away from trying to go the recruiter route and find people with all this experience and just said like, Hey, we're going to make it really open. We're going to open the funnel really wide for anybody that wants to apply. We're going to create a process for filtering for effort and interest. And then we're going to train the heck out of those people. That's proved to be really valuable for us. Real quick, before you go to retention, the one thing I'm not hearing in that, or maybe it's embedded in those categories of effort and interest, but what about being a learner or being a self, like a autodactite kind of, I'm going to go feed myself and learn. And where does that fit in that mix? Or is that important to have kind of a coachability? What I, what I've found is that, and I would, I would say that's wrapped in effort and interest because what I've found is that how much you love the thing that you're learning will dictate how much time that you're willing to spend in it. And then what I found is that people with great motors, they tend to also be those ones that are really self-feeding because they don't They don't like waiting for other people to give them information. So they go source it themselves, which is really the key when we talk about effort towards problem solving. That's really what we mean is that I want you to be the person that's going to run into an issue 
and just be voracious about solving it. And that usually includes self-learning. So for me, I would say that is absolutely a key attribute that I would say is tied up in the way that we look at effort and interest. Okay. So talk about retention. They're in the door. Is this, I mean, I'm guessing this is where the TMYDs and all that stuff kick in. How much of a competitive advantage do you think you're creating through those vehicles? Is there any way to track that or do you have a sense of it even intuitively? What I can say is that we've only ever had one employee leave and it's the one that we sent off to start their own agency. The other thing that- You've only had one person ever leave? Yep. At least at least at their, at their discretion. We'll say that. We'll say that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So one of the things that's been really interesting okay, that I didn't anticipate is that we fully planned for what we call positive employee turnover, is that we thought when we started TMYD that what we would get back would be all these dreams about other things, about dreams for people's lives independent of CTC. What we actually found was when we built a culture that empowered people to dream and gave them freedom to say, if you have an idea, we will do it, is that suddenly we found that way more of the dreams than we thought were about making CTC better and their future at this place, which was totally unanticipated. So I'll give you an example is, so I am an analytical dude. I think in terms of numbers and spreadsheets and So I never envisioned that CTC would have a function of its business that would be related to brand services, specifically like branding, messaging, product positioning, et cetera. But through the process of TMYD, three people here developed a vision for how brand could serve a role in the development of the companies that we work for here at CTC and how it could make our ad messaging better, et cetera, et cetera. They came to me with that vision, and now we have a flourishing brand department that has been a totally new creation that I never had any vision for at CTC, but by empowering people to think about what they want for their future, it was created. And so one of the things that we found is that people love it here, and as a result, a lot of their dreams are about this place. And so while we don't really like do anything, and now, and now at this point, to your point, we have great offices and incredible benefits and, and, and really cool things that help make this a place people want to be. But we started planning for employ- positive employee turnover, empowered people, and then suddenly they started dreaming about us. And like that was totally unanticipated. Going full circle, you mentioned that we are actually friends. And it's moments like this where I'm just so, <laughs> I'm so proud to be your friend. I mean, this is just incredible what you've created. And I think what I'm most struck by, T, is that you take your words really seriously. Like if you're going to have a mission, you're going to go, are we actually doing it? Can we measure against it? If you're going to say, tell me your dreams and an employee says, well, my dream is to do something that's competitive or distinct from what we're doing here, you embrace it and support it and champion it. And I just get the impression that if I text you on a Tuesday afternoon, we're going to get another beer. Like this is good news for the planet. When you're sitting down with your colleagues, and so be a firm man, I'm so moved. Thanks, Thanks, Dan. When you're sitting down, and I know you get these kinds of both in-house and, and just in life, you're sitting down with coffee with somebody and you're maybe in the beginning of that conversation. They don't work for you, but you're asking them questions like, tell me your dreams or what do you want to go do? And you're trying to help them. What do you find to be your most common resistance that those folks have when you're giving them input? And what do you say in response to counter it? The reason... My mission at our company is about helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams is because of this. It's because I got really lucky. I grew up wanting to be a baseball player as a little kid, and I got a chance to be drafted by the New York Yankees and walk into a locker room at spring training and see Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter changing into their uniform next to me. And all of a sudden, what was an ephemeral idea became an objective reality for me. And then I walked into a business right out of 
that I got super lucky that one of my best friends was starting a company that was a rocket ship that exploded. And so for me, dreams were never ideas that like, maybe I should just set out there and hopefully they'll just guide me on the right path. They were things that I could speak into existence. Like I was given the gift to understand that you can make things that you believe about your future happen. And oftentimes when I sit with people, they don't yet have the capacity to see themselves having the thing that they're stating that they want, but I can believe that about them. And I think that's the thing that like I have a gift and what achieving your dreams gives you sort of a superpower to do is that you can sit with people and believe about them what they don't yet have the capacity to believe about themselves. And I think that's like really exciting and energizing for me when I sit with people and they're like, yeah, I kind of want to do this thing. And I'm like, you can totally do it. Like it is totally possible for that thing that you're envisioning for whether it's a life change, whatever, like it's just easier for me because I got really blessed to have that gift happen in my life that now it feels like a thing that I can instill and offer to people as they're learning to sort of believe that about themselves. This is episode six, season four of Converge, the business of creativity podcast. Converge podcast is brought to you by fastermind.co, where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your Fastermind underscore. Go to fastermind.co. Music for this episode provided by triplescoopmusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track.